Hello, Molly. We're back, <laughs> back, back, back again in the studio in Media City, UK. Today it's beautiful sunshine, uncharacteristically. I know, yeah. Over lunch, we uh, decided to go and have a bit of a sunbathe. Can you sunbathe when you're fully clothed, or is it more of a sunbasque? I don't know. I don't really know the minutiae around the language of sunbathing. I did enjoy lying on my back, though, with the sun out, and my eyes were short, and I did feel like my eyeballs were cooking, though. What? (laughs) Well, you know, when your eyes are short, your eyelids are there, and your eyes are just looking at the sky, and they cook. It's hot. (laughs) No? Just me? Like little eggs. Yeah, that one's just you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's just get on with the podcast then. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> let's do it. Hello, we're Short Supply and this is Bang On, the podcast where we help solve your art world woes. In this podcast, we answer your art questions, we share the skills we've learned and speak to talented artists across the UK to kickstart your career in creativity. So you might be wondering who we are. Well, I'm Molly. And I'm Beck. We're directors of our own Salford-based arts organisation called Short Supply, and we care about artists. Now we're here for you. We're creating a step-by-step guide for artists who want to turn their creativity into a career but don't know where to start. Yep, this podcast is absolutely bang on. We teach you the lessons you don't learn at art school and how to create art from nothing. Let's get stuck in! In this week's episode, we'll be taking the next step in our journey towards an exhibition by talking about the making, when it works out, when it doesn't and why. What we making? The art, you muppet. Oh. (laughs) We'll be discussing what to do when life happens and how to make your art practice work for you despite the odds not always being in your favour. Today we're joined by artist, mum and TV personality Helena Worthington who is introducing us to her resilient and wobbly escapades as an artist and how to not let challenges stop you from making. We do love a wobbly escapade. <laughs> so this podcast is your one-stop shop for all your art world-related conundrums. Hi, Helena. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Amazing. You? Thanks so much for joining us today. I know that you're um, on your hollybobs. Oh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. <laughs> so I'll provide whatever information I am possible to, to give. So tell us a little bit about your art practice, what you're making, what you do in that their studio at Islington Mill, um, and, yeah, how it all got started. At the studio at Islington Mill, because we share a studio, you probably know that I store a lot of rubbish and food items that are half-eaten there. As do we. But- as do you, I've noticed. Um, it's just one big cupboard. Up. Yeah, it's one big storage cupboard for bits of snacks, but mm-hmm. that's part of the process. Um, yeah, so my art practice is mainly um, sculptural and painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a lot of inspiration from history. Um, I also do a lot of um, collecting of rubbish, <laughs> as, in, as in like... Um, <laughs> I'm interested in history and historical finds. So like the last thing that I found was a Bovril jar from the 1930s Ooh. in an old farm midden. Um, so this is kind of rubbish that most people would just ignore, mm. but I hoard it and I <laughs> use stuff like that to kind of connect myself to the history of people's lives, things that are quite mundane and quotidian. Mm. Uh, and I like to kind of, try and connect myself that way through um history mm. the everyday objects through the bits of rubbish that people would usually discard but there's um there's always a kind of beauty there if you look at it properly mm. finding finding the beauty in the everyday um 
And I like to think that maybe one day someone will find a Bovril jar that I've discarded. Um, <laughs> Do you discard a... many Bovril jars? A few in my time, responsibly through recycling, of course. Okay, yeah. <laughs> of course. But, but back in time, like in the 1930s, if you find a rubbish pile, often near farm areas, you know, there wasn't the, the recycling units there. So you got all sorts. I got Bovril, Marmite, Brill Cream. Oh, uh, is it still in date? You are. Is it still in date? The Bovril, um, oh no, it was the Brill Cream. There was still some in the jar. Do you use uh, it? Is it good for you? you? smell it. Does it look like I've done anything to my hair? <laughs> Not even got my bra on, mate. Who needs bras? Yeah, so this is like where I find inspiration and I try and get that into my art in a way of, um, with my paintings, I layer up the paint over time mm -hmm. and it's quite laborious and it takes a very long time. Um, and then I sand it back to reveal the layers. Um, and in that way, when I, well, when hopefully people view the art, I don't know if they get it, but that's what I do is mm. they'll see an actual visual layer of time passing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then also I, I swap the foreground and background to, tr to try and mix things up in a way of like challenging how we view things. Mm. Instead of time being seen as this linear kind of path where we were born, we live and we die, it's kind of like more of a um, an explosion of events that has a knock-on effect outwards in all mm. directions. So, yeah, a bit of a space cadet, really. Bloody hell, it's like yeah. you're an artist or something. I know, that was so serious. You're so articulate. <laughs> I loved it. So, yeah, I feel like those items are beautiful mm. and they kind of connect again into my practice of the domestic. Mm -hmm. It's unavoidable, um, the domestic life for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I think specifically, especially as being a mother, mm and a woman mm. i feel like there is more to do with the domestic well for me personally that's my life mm. um and you know there's a definite lack of those kind of scenes being captured and, and this theme being captured because obviously it's been men that have dominated the artistic scene mm. uh, Bastards. for a very long time Good for them, yeah. but you know, we, we've got a chance now yeah. as their ladies who are out there. Like I was in, I don't, where was I? Oh, it was the National Portrait Gallery in London. Hmm. And I saw some paintings and I was like, that's unusual. That's a depiction of a mother with a child. They were doing some domestic, I can't remember whether it was washing clothes or something. Hmm. And it really stood out because we're in a sea of very masculine dominated images and if there was a woman there she would have her tits out so yeah. it was painted by a bloke mm. and i looked and the artist was a woman mm. probably one of the maybe top three percent of women artists that were in the whole gallery and yeah. it's like there's something that was captured there and there's you know a beauty and a resilience in that picture the hardest job you'll ever do if you ever have children is that mm. Keeping your, your boobs in your shirt. You've had puppies. Yeah. <laughs> moment, and I tell you what, that stress hmm. maybe like magnify it by a thousand percent, and you've got <laughs> yourself a kid. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I can't so imagine 
because I don't know. I don't have kids. Well, you, you will do one day, don't worry. One day we'll know the struggle. <laughs> it sounds like a threat, that, doesn't it? You will it have kids. If I'm in it, you're in it too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you down with me. Yeah, you've mentioned some amazing stuff there, Helena. Um, I'm going to have to rein myself in and not ask you too many questions. But I think just on that sort of... that balancing of like personal pressures and like life stuff in with Mm. being an artist I guess this is the thing that this kind of the triplets the time space money stuff when we talk about being artists and and the Mm. things that we need to make it happen I know for artists who are starting out that's one of the biggest challenges like how do I find the time to make my art when my life's happening and and you know a thing or two about that I guess I wonder if you could just talk about that. Like, what's that like, you know, balancing your art practice, which is so involved and has so many layers and and has so many things to it when you have a chaotic, brilliant, wobbly domestic home life? The only way that you can do it is if you make it your life. You know, it's not necessarily about, like, I know some people are like this and hats off to them, but I'm not Hmm. being very, very disciplined, Hmm. being very, very, like, Oh, on on this day and this day, I go to the studio and I'm undisturbed. It doesn't happen because Mm. people get ill. You've got kids that are on bank holiday for two weeks in a row. You've got childcare issues. Mm. So if you approach the art practice as everyday life, like Gilbert and George did, like when they brush their teeth, it's a performance. It's a performance to them. They do it in synchronization. They're present. Yeah. And I feel like there's such a huge pressure put on people with instantaneous results Mm. with this expectation that you got to got to got to all the time and I feel like social media is hugely to blame Mm -hmm. and I feel like there needs to be some sort of revolution where we become quiet again and we go back to being slower Mm. as people so I understand that there'll be people who want to make money from their art to survive but for me personally, I'm extremely lucky because when I was at university, my final year, I had a under one year old um, yeah. and I got childcare provided. I had to pay a bit more on top. But if I couldn't access that childcare through the university um, student finance, hmm. that would have been me done. Like there was no way I could have done that. I was incredibly sleep deprived. That's where the dance of insanity came in. Yeah, that was it. Um, That was where it originated. But the thing that I was mainly doing at that time was I was being gentle to myself. I was being kind. Mm. And I think that everybody needs to treat themselves like that because when you are happy and you've got clarity in your mind, that is when you're going to produce your most genuine, honest work. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe no one's going to see my work or, you know, the last month I've not done much I've just done some oil pastels on paper but it'll all culminate to something one day Mm. and I've seen it happen already you know like with my work there'll be a time where it's right and everything's fallen into place and I can do it and I think if you if you allow it and you take your time it'll happen yeah but support networks are huge Mm. If you're struggling financially, you know, like I've cleaned more toilets than probably a lot of people. I've done a lot of cleaning jobs. I've done a lot of bar work. Like, um, you know, I'm not shy of using a Henry Hoover, the bastard. (laughs) Um, So you just got to make it work. You do it. And, you know, if you love it, you make it happen. 
I think there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to having an art practice of, you know, especially if you're in education, that you leave education, you become an artist and that is it. Things mm. will fall into place. You know, you'll find your look and you'll be an artist on your own. But I think they're misconceptions. You know, like you said, you need a support system. You need to speak to your peers. You can't be an artist in a vacuum. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of artists do have jobs outside of their art practice. Most we, artists have jobs, let's be honest. Like, it yeah. is, you know. We say it's, you know, you have your art practice and you have a survival job that pays the bills. So mm. like you saying that you've done a lot of bar work and a lot of cleaning jobs, I've done a lot of retail. I got sucked into that world. I used um, to clean toilets in Media City, actually, in a building not so dissimilar to this one. It wasn't this one. We, we told you you're not allowed to do that. They didn't want you on the site. <laughs> <laughs> don't see why you were doing that but yeah and I guess just kind of you know talking about misconceptions I guess I wanted to ask what were your biggest misconceptions or what have you heard what are your opinions on misconceptions mm, no I don't think I've got many misconceptions I went to university a lot older and as an older student I feel like that there's less challenges because it's like when you're producing an art practice and it's kind of, you've had more time to think, you've had more life experience and also the tutors take you more seriously. Like it's obvious, it's definitely obvious that as an older person and as an adult, there is this thing in the education system where it kind of feels like young people are churned in and out. Mm -hmm. Whereas me as like an older woman, I was definitely aware that I was paying for a service. Yeah. I would like make that clear that I was there to learn and yeah. get as much as I could from there. Um, but yeah, I think as long as you don't, my expectations for university and for our education was nothing to do with a career. It was nothing to do with getting a job after. Mm. It was I got to a point in my life where it was like, I want to do this because this is what I need to do. Yeah. Um, whereas I think some people, they go through school, they go through college, and then they go, well, what next? University, because that's what I've been told to do. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like art. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, well, and then obviously the mind process is, well, university, then job. Yeah. So yeah. It's like as long as you kind of, you need the flexibility of mind to know that it's not linear. It's not straightforward. Yeah. yeah, I know that my mum used to say to me that you need to go to university if you want to get a job because university yeah. opens the door to your career and then I turned around and got an art degree. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, mom. Yeah. I'm from, I'm from a family of nurses and I turned around and went, I'm going to get an art degree. And she went, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, to be honest, Bex, you do look after me and Molly quite well like you are our carer. Yeah, yeah. You're you my do. Way. You're my little babies. <laughs> Thank you. We need you. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, we've got to look out for our peers. We've got to look yeah. out for each other and... Mm. Who's better to look after artists than artists? We're all in the same boat. We're all stressed. Mm. We all know how each other's feeling. Yeah, this stuff about arts education, though, that you're saying is really interesting. I guess it's something I haven't really reflected on as much, that idea of, oh, it really is just a... It, it does feel like a... Um, what is it? Oh, no, it's come from my head. 
Just a linear path, like a churn them in, churn them yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like um, a factory. Yeah, I've forgotten what a the... mill. Assembly line is what it feels like. There you go. There yeah. we go. You jogged my memory there. We got there. It was a journey, um, but we got there. Well, as soon as money becomes involved in capitalism, yeah. um, that happens, doesn't it? Mm. Whereas if it was free and we didn't vote the Conservatives in again, you know, money wouldn't be as relevant and maybe people would be getting a lot more from the education system mm. because people would be going, you know, and feeling a bit more relaxed and they would be there for the actual experience instead of being like, I need a certificate. Yeah, I find it interesting talking like through your experience because you are a couple of years older than us. Yes, I said couple, don't come for me. Oh, everyone should know that when Beck says couple, she doesn't in fact mean two, she means anywhere from two to about five. Yeah. A decade. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you're a couple of years older than us, so it's nice to hear your experience with university of like you saying that it seems as though you know, people that are straight from college, 18, 19-year-olds are kind of churned through university, but um, mature students that have had time outside of university and decided to go are almost nurtured a little bit more. Because yeah, you, because you saying that now flicks me straight back into university for me to think, yeah, like it's something that you're not conscious of when you're there, but mm. I can definitely see it now that you've mentioned it. Well, I know it happened because I did go to university when I was 18. Mm. The experience that I had there, um, I went to a a more prestigious arts school and there was a definite sense of, you know, you do it yourself. You're just here. You pay the fees, but you do it. And if you've got any troubles, sucks to you. Which is how I felt in first year, just to kind of give that some weight. Like that is exactly how it felt. Yeah. And it was just like, whereas when I went to Salford University with you guys, you know, there's a lot of people who've got learning difficulties that do art, mm-hmm. you know, um, the dyslexia, the ADHD, mostly undiagnosed, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there was people there who were like, right, for me personally, I don't know if anybody else had this experience, but I was like, I need to access the classes. I'm struggling with, the, you know, the mm-hmm. booking systems. People took their time with me because they knew that if I couldn't do it, I'd be a nuisance. Whereas I think as an 18-year-old, if you encounter a problem and then you go and ask a big adult that you can't use a booking system, you feel silly if you get bobbed off. So Mm. it's like, Mm. it's about having that confidence and the drive to be persistently annoying. Oh, yeah. That's the one thing I tell every student that I speak to. And it's like, don't be afraid of your tutors. Just speak to them like they're your pals because you're more likely to get respect than if you go like, ooh, ooh, I need your help. Please come and help me. And also they're bloody there to help you. That's literally why they're there. They pay their wages. Yeah. Yeah. When in reality, we haunted our tutors at Salford Uni. We haunted them. They hated us just walking over to there. Just write us an email. No, I know you're in that glass office. I can see you, Mr. Willy Wonka. I'm coming in. That's why they they made a glass. There was no hiding. No, there yeah. was no hiding. You could, you, Some of our tutors would hide behind their like mountains of toys that were on their desk. But I saw him. I knew he was there with his bird seed. You can't hide from me. No. <laughs> it's like the staff at B&Q, innit? Yeah, see, <laughs> see that's not on... They're in there somewhere, but you just don't know where. Yeah, they're usually hiding behind the... Um, the machinery or up on a ladder and they go, I'm too high up, I can't hear you. 
sorry, you're going to have to find someone else. Um, yeah, so I had a very overall positive experience at university. Mm-hmm. I did have like a couple of mental breakdowns, Who uh, especially towards the end of the dissertation because I couldn't even speak English <laughs> by the end of that. I um, have nothing left. <laughs> and I was just dry. I mean, I feel like we've had a good, uh, an interesting chat there about arts education. I guess through that like experience of, of being in arts education, I know that a lot of the listeners might also either be in arts education or considering doing it. Um, well, I'm in arts education now, as yeah, it would seem. Yeah, I was going to say, you're still doing it. You're working with young people and doing amazing, exciting things and helping people who otherwise might not have the chance to make art. But I guess um, I'm wondering about... While you're in education and also like through kind of traditional art routes, there's a lot of talk of like about feedback and about critique and what weight that has within your art practice. I guess, what weight do you think it has? Like other people's opinions versus going with your gut and making decisions for yourself. Like when do you think that's important? Well, I think it depends what kind of person you are, but I really don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) What happens, happens, and you get what you're given. If you Mm. don't like it, you can cram it. (laughs) And I feel like there's two kinds of artists. There's the ones who are like, the ones that have come from money. It's a bit of a hobby, but because all of their dads and mums mates are rich, they've managed to pay to get themselves into well-established galleries. Mm. So like, I've been approached, my partner's been approached by galleries in London, whereas you have to pay a large fee to get mm. your work displayed. But if you have the money to do it, people are away. Yeah. yeah. I got contacted after my degree show for some of my rugs to go down there. And you've seen the size of these rugs, Helen. You know the weight behind them. Mm. And I'd have to pay for my own shipping. I'd have yeah. to pay to even have the work in the show, which was no small fee. I think it was like £400 just for them to show my work. I'm like, I'll hang it myself, God damn it. Mm. I even asked them like, oh, well, if I came down to see the show, would you pay for my expenses or for a hotel? No. Mm. I'm not forking out over a grand just it's to show work. You've even been asked, young lady. I know. That's yeah. the attitude, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah definitely. It's like you have the opportunity to be in this exclusive club because we've allowed it and it's Mm. like well you know what i'll do it a different way um i feel like that's all tied up in the commercial art world as well though isn't it because the idea behind it and and again it's this like talking about art as a business transaction in the terms of oh well you know it's a grand to be in it but you'll sell the work so you'll make profit Um, but I think actually if you're an artist, like there's no kind of art market up north and we're not really taught how to navigate that world. Not to say... It's a subject though, isn't it? Like talking about money in relation to your own art, it's dirty. Yeah, but I don't know. I think I have no problems with it, but what Mm. I do have a problem with is the fact that we're not on equal footing here in the north you know the ecology isn't there it doesn't exist and it's because you know we try and buy art whenever we can but it's usually not over 200 quid because it's a Mm -hmm. you know it's a treat (laughs) yeah i treated myself to a little tina dempsey last year for my birthday from the manchester contemporary that was fun Mm. i like to just raz tina at the same time as buying her art so it's like you can't be mean to me now because i'm giving you money and buying your art yeah you, you had a captive didn't you i did yeah um, i did i was trying to convince her to let me shave her own name tina into her undercut um but she wouldn't let me i wonder why <laughs> it'd be different 
Yeah. No one yeah. ever asked what her name is again. Oh, that's good. What about just a nice Argos necklace with a name on it? You know, at the back of the Argos catalogue, you can get your name on a necklace. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those horrible Argos. I've had exes that buy me that used to buy me necklaces from Argos. Bought you something. They did buy yeah. me something, yeah. They bought I can't, you something. Can't, can't complain. No, I can't. <laughs> it's it better than a poke it, in the though. eye. That is true. It is better than a poke in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we, well, we mentioned a lot about resources in there, didn't we? About like hmm. not having the resources to have that amount of clay and that big studio where you can house that, or maybe a warehouse hmm. or a kiln or anything. So I guess I would like to ask, what is your dream project? If you could have all the resources in the world, money is no object. You've got time, you've got space, you've got money, you've got all the resources. What are you making? I would have. Um, oh, who's that woman in Cornwall? What's she called? She does nice sculptures. Oh, Barbara Hepworth. That was her. All right. I'd have Barbara Hepworth studio. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's I'd, beautiful. I'd have a, mm-hmm. a very large selection of caftans <laughs> and moo-moos. I wouldn't wear a bra ever again. Right. I would sculpt in, I'd have marble, I'd have a big space to do sculptures and paintings, and I'd just eat at Rick Stein's fish and chip shop every evening. Mm. That's it. That's all I want. I can say I can really see Helena in her caftans fly tipping Barbara Hepworth sculptures around Cornwall because oh. she's moved in. Just in, <laughs> just in an old bottle jar into the centre of one of her sculptures yeah. and being like... <laughs> Yeah. Now it's finished. Oh, yeah. So, okay, we've chatted about a load of shit there. You've (laughs) chatted a load of shit. You've bestowed many words of wisdom on us, Helena. Oh, don't listen to any of it. Whether you know it or not. (laughs) But I guess I'm wondering what advice might you give to a young person um, or someone who's maybe not young and is still just starting out on kind of embarking on this journey of like making art and doing the thing and and stepping into this world a little bit. What would you say to someone who's maybe feeling intimidated to start making art and feels a bit unsure but is like, I kind of want to do it, but I'm just not sure like, you know, how to... Where's my place? Where's my place? Like, what what would you say to... Because I know that you work with young people as well. Well, I think what I would say to them is take your time. And I say this to the people, you know, the young people that I work with is if you've got the opportunity to volunteer and really research what there is, because I feel like when you're young, you're just like, I'm an artist, so what shall I do? I'll be an artist, you know, like there's somebody who's interested in hairdressing. I'm like, well, let's explore what we can do there. You know, like there's film and TV, there's costume, there's like, there's so much that we don't know about career-wise for opportunities at a young age. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you've got the opportunity, you know, like if you're living at home with your mum and dad, yeah, get a, a Sunday job or something like that to support yourself a bit. But take the time, if you've got it, to volunteer. Mm. And I know you shouldn't work for free, but I feel like, you know, if you love it and mm. you're really getting something like a kick from doing it, mm. go and see if you can spend a time with someone who's like into um the things that you're interested in and really take your time to explore what it is that makes you kind of sing and yeah. gets your mind going mm-hmm. instead of rushing. 
Mm. And if you've not got that opportunity, you know, try and make it work some way and ask, you know, people who have made it a bit further than you Mm. and see how they've done it. But, you know, I don't think if you're not digging something, don't do it Mm. Um, and really listen to yourself and and be confident in your own kind of intuition. Mm -hmm. That can be a really difficult thing to do as a young person because you're not really taught at school to be intuitive. You're taught to follow the rules and tick the boxes and get the qualifications. So it's about shedding that kind of rigid thought that's instilled in you from a very young age and just being like right time to put your big girl knickers on and trust yourself it's really scary that first step into trying to think for yourself and think what is it that I actually want and I guess it's making sure our listeners know that that is it is scary and, and we're all aware of it you're not on your own in that feeling you're not the first person in the entire world that's ever had that feeling you've got to go under to go over I think that's, I don't know, I didn't coin that. I think Nietzsche said it, so don't quote me on that. But I I I definitely feel like you've got to go into that bit where you've got quite a looming sense of despair to get through to the other side to get a a breakthrough. I like how you named like probably a philosopher or something there, whereas my brain was like, we're going on a bear trip or whatever it is. You can't... That's it, we're going on a bear hunt. We can't go around it we can't go over it gotta go through it (laughs) yes that was actually by frederick nietzsche oh that song song, yeah yeah so i was right in some way just in a more layman's terms (laughs) (laughs) i think um so i was talking to someone recently who pointed out something which i hadn't even considered with regards to this kind of stuff which is that in reality for every one person who decides to go for it to just go for what they want to do and give it a try there's a hundred plus people who never do because they're too scared and that's why I think that I enjoy working with artists so much and also why I don't really think I could do anything else because you know it's a load of people who have decided to try who've decided to go for what they want and it might not work out you know it doesn't work out for everyone I wish that there was some way that we could guarantee that it would but I think that you know I I think that's why northerners have the upper hand Molly (laughs) oh yeah Because people expect less of us. Mm. So if anything happens and we just survive, that's Mm. like a bit of a surprise. Mm. It's like, wow, I've managed to do something. Um, And it's like, for me, I feel like I've I've been able to do this because I had very little confidence that I'd ever achieve anything Mm. or get past my 23rd birthday, to be fair. Mm. So I think that if you have that kind of thing in you where it's like, something may not happen but something might happen you can use that to your advantage and I think that if people get into that mindset of you know what just give it a go because some it's better than nothing so our last question Holy, oh yeah we I, I was gonna say I was Whoa. just about to be like oh well that was lovely but we're not done yet we have one more question for you Helena. now no, say, no. who just electrocuted <laughs> Molly just to suddenly start dancing that was great well the you last already got your back I could see it under the desk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they're starting to they're starting to slide off their chair like at, at primary school or like a high school before the bell rings. It's like, I tell you when to leave. That was me like sneakily shoving all my stuff in to, to get out. To get out. Go, <laughs> yeah. I've got silly art to make. Anyway, sorry. Go on, Beck. Take the lead. <laughs> our last question is one that we like to ask all of our guests. Um, and it is, 
if you were to describe your practice as a relationship, as a like, as if your practice was a person sat next to you, what is your relationship to your practice? So Molly, as an example, do you want to give what your relationship is and then I'll do mine? No, you do yours first. Okay. I think yours is better than mine. My relationship to my practice at the moment is we are trying new things. We've gone to counselling. Uh, I've managed mm-hmm. to revive it in some way, even if it is just mentally. And um, we're still not, you know, touching each other in bed. But we're, we're thinking about new avenues, maybe new things, maybe bringing new partners into the relationship just to add a bit of spice. Um, seeing what mediums... Yeah, seeing what mediums tickle our fancy, if any. Maybe we'll go into the touching phase. But at the moment, we're very like missionary lights off, don't talk to me, sort of thing. Yeah. Molly, what about yours? No kissing. Mm. Where am I with my practice? Um, hate fucking, I think. We wow. passionate. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, once a month we'll get together. We'll you know make some fireworks, and then we'll kind of fuck off for a little bit and not talk to each other, and that's all right. I like to think that the time that you've like fucked off from one another, though, like you're making notes, you're doing your market research, yeah, and possibly. then when you get back together, it's like right, these are the things that I want to achieve from this hate fuck. So let's just fucking let's get on with it. You know, <laughs> it's efficient. But yeah, there you go. We've laid ourselves bare. What's your relationship with your practice? The relationship with my practice is um, it's a drunk uncle who shows up maybe every so often, but you always think about them and you know they're there and you know you're related to them by blood. (laughs) And nobody can tell what he's saying because he's got a very thick accent of a regional sort. But when you see them, it's quite um, reassuring. I did have a great uncle like that. No one could tell what he was saying. Really couldn't. Um, So, yeah, I feel like we're in contact spiritually and occasionally physically. Mm. Uh, You know, we'll have a buffet together at some point, you know, Mm. Easter, Christmas. An Easter cheese board. Yeah, that kind of thing. Mm. We'll have a boiled egg at a cafe occasionally together when we can meet up. Mm. But, um, yeah. No words exchanged, just you sit opposite each other and eating a boiled egg. Pretty much, I'd say so. Well, thank you <laughs> so much, Helena, for joining us today. Oh, no, thanks for having us. Sorry about if uh, you can, maybe you can use some of that. I'm sure we'll, we can codge something together. Helena, you I say have we, such I mean, an incredible brain, um, so much knowledge, um, and I think most importantly, you break things down in a way that make things feel accessible and fun and that's exactly why we asked you so thank you so much oh, for joining and, and sharing your wisdom of oh, sorts for having us. if you've got any questions further on just give us a message or if any of your people who watch you and listen to your um, show just send them forwards and i'll tell them what little information i do now just give them your direct number and say that they can text you anytime day or night yeah 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 well no you they can text you any time day or night and then you can be the go between no no you already said am i your agent now (laughs) oh go on will you (laughs) helena needs managing i'll I'll take the gig go on then (laughs) you can have all of the money i don't mind i just need it clearing out the art stuff (laughs) 
what a great conversation we've just had with Helena. What a wild ride. I absolutely love Helena. She's great. <laughs> I think it's high time to start listening to our audience and what they have to say. Who have we got today? Um, today we have a lovely question from Liam. Let's hear it. Hello, Molly and Becky. In art, there are no rules. Do you agree or disagree? In view of our education in the early years where we learn about golden sections and Fibonacci spirals and the colour wheel, things like that, and then we go to university and discover that there are no rules at all and you can do whatever you like, what are your comments? I really like that question. I guess I... Well, I agree and I disagree, and I know that's not the answer that Liam was looking for. Um, <laughs> I agree that there are rules in traditional art making. There were rules for, you know, certain paintings that I can't remember the names of because I'm terrible at remembering things, <laughs> that it is important to have the golden sections and the spiral. That can stay in. That's the right word. That is correct. Um, there are rules, depending on what, medium and what you're aiming to do I guess for me rules come down to the project the idea itself because it all depends on what the idea is to whether the rules apply to it or not so if I if I said to you oh I'm going to be making um, a teapot out of porcelain that isn't going to be functional well rules in regards to the golden sections and the Fibonacci spirals and all that that doesn't count for the way that I want to make work because I want to make something that's more contemporary rather than something that is traditional. Hmm. I mean, I personally think all that is a load of rubbish. Okay. Um, I well, think we if, don't always have to agree. I think if people want to follow those rules, then do. It makes no difference to me in, in my art practice whether you do or don't. But for me... Um, it doesn't interest me. That's not the way that I learn. And also those rules have never done me any favours, like in my art practice. You know, I've been a painter what for a long... What favours are you asking of them, though? I've been a painter They're for... They're not a... going to pick you up from the airport. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I've been a painter for a long time and I've not really paid that much attention to the colour wheel and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's made a difference, a huge difference to my art either way. Some may say it's because I'm a crap artist, but I personally Some think... Some you. <laughs> I've never heard anyone else say that. I personally think that for emerging artists these days um if you really want to kind of learn these rules and use them in your practice then do it but i certainly don't think that you need to mm -hmm. and i think that the beauty of art is that there aren't any rules so yeah and at the end of the day if you believe there are rules aren't rules meant to be broken some would say mm. others would not opinions are a thing Mm -hmm. thanks so much for that question Liam hopefully you liked our response and if you don't I'm sure you'll send us an angry follow up message <laughs> after this <laughs> but yeah thank you for tuning in this week on making art how to make art and how to be resilient we'll be back next week with another episode of Bang On and this episode will be about space how to find space what spaces exist for us who knows, but we'll find out. So type in Bang On on your streaming app to listen, like, follow and subscribe. You know, all the usual podcast things. You can also check us out on socials at Short Supply MCR. And that's also where you can get in touch with us for listener questions. Thank you to Audio Always and our producer Carly for listening to us talk away again. Uh, and we'll see you next time. See you later. <laughs>